Welcome to Megalo and the Maniac, a show by, for, and about people who love themselves a little too much. And my name is Isaac, and I'll be telling the story. My name is Marta, and I'll be listening, interrupting, and trying to make light of these situations. Mm-hmm. And we have a special guest today with us, my dear friend Felipe. Uh, happy to be here today and awesome. listen to the story. And you're also an expert on the Qing Dynasty in China. Yeah, sort of, especially after the 18th century. Mm-hmm. That's your main focus? Yeah. That's perfect. Because today, uh, I chose today's story because it actually has a connection to, um, we have a lot of uh, Japanese listeners, apparently, for some reason, and we got an email from them. Did we? Yeah, we did. What? Uh-huh. Yeah, I just checked the email. Why didn't you tell me? Well, I don't know what it said. I don't know. I don't speak Japanese. Oh, my God. <laughs> So funny. I thought I was a comedic. No, I I try to get one or two jokes and like just just so like it's an equal playing field. I don't I don't just like to be the yeah, but I try the straight the straight man straight like I feel like that's comedy rape if you try to get it in without permission. Without consent. <laughs> Without consent. Yeah, sorry. So, I should have asked first, yeah. but then it wouldn't have worked. It didn't still work, so... <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get to it. Okay. Uh, and today's story is kind of like a reverse of what we've done before. Because this is a guy uh, or a child who starts at the bottom of being a megalomaniac right from the from basically birth. And uh, the other people that we've done, I feel like they've started out more modest and more normal in that sense mm-hmm. and then just became the wonderful people that they were yeah exactly, exactly. <laughs> and this is the the reverse this guy starts at the top and finishes as a a normal person forbidden city beijing november 1908 snow is covering the houses and palaces empress dowager sixi is on her deathbed Guangzhou Emperor has just died a month earlier. China is now in need of a new emperor. On November 13th, without any further notice, a procession of eunuchs and guardsmen, led by the palace chamberlain, left the Forbidden City for the Northern Mansion to inform Prince Chun that they're taking away his three-year-old son, Puji, to be the new emperor. The toddler, Puji, screamed and resisted, as officials ordered the eunuchs to pick him up. His parents knew they wouldn't see him, and they had to hand over their son. His mother started crying, and so did two-year-old Puji, as the eunuchs took him away, walking slowly through the falling snow. That was my vision of how they took him away. Uh, What do you think? Well, with the music behind it, I could really feel it. Right? Yes. You got into it? Yeah, especially the part that they, the eunuchs kidnapped the toddler. <laughs> <laughs> That's very sad, though. <laughs> <laughs> Guys without balls being kidnappers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so he's taking he's taken away to to Empress Dowager Sixi, and just to give her a sense of who she is, she to to make a reference to Game of Thrones, she's basically a Cersei. Oh. And the kid is King Joffrey. Uh-huh. That will give you a sense of who this guy is and who she is. Okay, mm-hmm. and where are, when are the dragons coming? 
There's no dragons. There's dragons in their. Um, uh, he's from the King Queen uh, dynasty, uh -huh. and they have a dragon in their sort of symbol. Uh -huh. That's the only dragon we're gonna get. Okay. Sixty, she dies the day after this happens. He becomes the emperor, and he's two years and ten months old when he but, becomes the emperor. But why does Puyi's father not become the emperor? Well, he's because uh, they need a young one, and she—it's her job to pick a new one. And she always, uh, she always picked like young people because she couldn't be the the empress alone. She had to have someone. Okay, so like she so picks she someone that can, she can manipulate, like yeah, she exactly. can rule over. Okay, okay, That's, I see. I she's see. like Cersei in that sense. Okay. And he's then taken away from his parents to be, to live in the palace with the eunuchs as servants. And those mm. were the ones who, uh, yeah, took care of his upbringing. And the only one who could follow him was a wet nurse that he had. And he had a wet nurse until he was five. Okay. okay. And uh, was he a single child? Or? No, he was not a single child. He had siblings, but it wasn't until he was 13 years old that he saw his siblings again. Okay. So he took a long time. So he had to live in his palace alone with the the maids and the eunuchs. And I think, as we've seen in the last couple of episodes, that missing one parent is a disaster for it, or like a that's a recipe for disaster. Mm -hmm. And missing both of them and having no one to tell you what to do, I think that's even worse, mm -hmm. or as we're going to see. But um, so like... Are you saying here that eunuchs should not adopt? So that might be a controversial stance in this day and age, Isaac. You know? Well, I, I don't think I'm going to offend that many people by saying that. So I think I'm going to say that. Okay. No, if that's, no look, eunuchs if that's, can, okay. can adopt from now on. If, if I was a politician, if I would run for office, that would be one of my... That would be one of your policies. Yeah, it would. Okay. Yeah. Because, like, it's really necessary to have a dick to have a kid, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, in one sense, there is, yeah, if okay. you're going to do it the natural way, but you can adopt. But, you, but wouldn't it be safer for the kids? Like, no pedophilia for sure. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> you had to. Sorry. Yeah. I was just thinking of his name, too. Puji. It's like a funny name. Uh, it almost sounds like Fuji, mm -hmm. and which comes from the word refugee, mm -hmm. and which he later become because he was dethroned when he was six years old. So he was only the emperor for three years. But he was emperor three times, but the first time only for three years. Because the number three is an important number here. Yeah. And uh, I was going to tell you a little about his childhood here. And since he was only two years old when he was taken away from his parents, he was taken to a palace and brought up by eunuchs and maids. And he was the emperor. Nobody could tell him what to do. So imagine having a two-year-old Nobody tells him what to do, and you tell him, you can have whatever you want. And he actually could have whatever he wanted to do. So, like, basically, how you raise kids in Sweden. What? <laughs> what What idea do you have of, of the Swedish... Uh, uh, Swedish children running around in restaurants with no one telling them anything? Well, that's not how we try to do it. We try to treat treat them as individuals, not as children. You know, that's the distinction there, I think. <laughs> but he had, like, grown men bowing down to him... And he just had, he when he discovered that he had complete power over the eunuchs, 
he one of the things that he liked to do he was just like he became sadistic for some reason he just like he understood that he could inflict pain on these eunuchs and that's what he did and he would just have them flogged for any number of reasons but i think all children have like a sadistic like a, a period of time when they become a bit sadistic and like that's when they learn empathy because mm -hmm. they learn that it hurts mm -hmm. so they have to be taught empathy a little bit so if y no one is teaching him empathy then and also their ego is extremely high and uh, this uh, french journalist wrote that uh, the emperor was divine he could not be punished he could only be advised against ill-treating innocent eunuchs if he chose to fire his air gun pellets at them it was his prerogative <laughs> and it's just a funny to think of like an emperor sitting there like a with like an air soft air gun and shooting at the eunuchs i just <laughs> like that idea of him in his like throne like shooting at the that's what he did like he he didn't have any real power but he was the the emperor but yeah. he was not the one running the country that was like his parents or mm -hmm. the dowager or someone else uh, at least they couldn't be shot in the balls <laughs> yeah, they were missing those. But to prove that they were eunuchs, they had to have their penis and testicles in a jar of brine that they wore around their necks. No! Okay. Uh, <laughs> okay, that's interesting. I mean, look, it's just like, I'm just going to say that's a terrible fashion choice. Yeah, but nobody else was seeing them. There was just eunuchs living there, but... But I mean, so, but they could still compare the sizes of their dicks. Like, oh, look at mine. Oh, I need like a two-liter jar, you know. <laughs> oh, look at mine. I need a backpack. <laughs> was it a glass jar that you could actually see it? I don't. I, it was not that specific. Okay. So I don't know if they had to take him out. If it was like <laughs> <laughs> yeah, here's the proof. Uh, guys, penis inspection. <laughs> <laughs> Mason jars full of penises. Yeah. Very hipster. Yeah. But eventually the eunuchs started, of course, hating the the emperor because he was treating them like ch shit. So it was a lot of corruption and they were stealing a lot of things and selling things on the black market. Do you know why it's called the Forbidden City? Because no one was allowed to get in? Just eunuchs or something? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I didn't know why it was called the Forbidden City. It's, it sounds very, like, ominous. It or... sounds very obvious. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> The Forbidden City where you carry your testicles around. <laughs> it's forbidden to have a penis. There. <laughs> yeah. And uh, he was the emperor, or the official emperor, uh, for three years. And then he had to abdicate uh, because of revolutions going on in the country. And But he was they let him uh, stay in the palace. So from three to six, he was the emperor? Yes. Then from 6 to... Onwards, he became emperor again for 11 days in 1917 when he was like 15. And then he had to move away. But we'll get there. It's, okay. it's uh, very interesting, this period when he... Uh, when China becomes a republic. Mm -hmm. In the movie, The Last Emperor, yeah. it, there is this scene, it's like a, a clash of reality because... So you are seeing this kid in the palace... Everything looks like it's in the medieval times or something. Yeah. And then suddenly these guys arrive with cars. Yeah. And they're like, what? What time is this? Because like, if you're seeing this movie and you don't know about the story or something, it feels like it's from the medieval times, but suddenly there's cars and yeah. they come to the palace and they... Yeah, and they really kept him in, in that 
in that time period because he was not subjected to any like western things he he uh -huh. later had teachers came into the palace to teach him english and things like that and they brought uh, yeah western technology and showed him things that there's a world outside of the forbidden city and like old china so he, he then he wanted to be called henry and he wanted to go to oxford <laughs> okay and he wanted to study like his his uh, his teacher then who was a Scot Scott. He was from Scotland. Of course, like, right. Scottish people are the best. They make you want to change your name. Like, we've talked about my appreciation for Scottish people in this podcast before, and we'll keep talking about it. Yeah, no, they're great. Uh, but when he was, a, like, they signed papers and uh, for his abdication, but nobody told him. So he walked around the Forbidden City for some time afterwards, thinking he was the emperor, but he was not. And the eunuchs were like, Nah, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> Payback. Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> no, but he was given uh, a lot of money to maintain a court uh -huh. uh, because they didn't just want to throw him out. Uh -huh. So he continued living in the Forbidden City until the 1920s. Uh, and in 1922, uh, the people who like sort of decided over his life decided that he should get married. And I think this is the first or not the first version of Tinder. I think this is all how all aristocratic people got married. And he was shown just a lot of pictures <laughs> on women to be like, hey, uh, which one do you want to marry? <laughs> yeah, all right. Yeah. That's pretty cool. I don't think it was like that in aristocracy. I think it was like, no, oh, they, this they... is your cousin. You're going to marry her. <laughs> no, but <laughs> I've heard that they no sent thing. around paintings like uh -huh. to the courts of like, this is the blah, blah, blah. Everyone looks so fucking ugly in those paintings though. <laughs> and they're made to look better. So yeah, imagine, precisely. oh my God. Oh my God, you must be like, hmm, that angle, did you use a filter? Mm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can be someone completely different in those. So it's, it doesn't, yeah, it's not a fair representation of a painting, I feel like. So did he get married or what? So the way it works in China is that you can have one wife and then you can have as many concubines as you want. Okay. So he first he chose Wang Chu to be his wife, but she was only acceptable as a concubine. So then I was like, why did they even show him that picture in the first place? Or, so they were like, wrong, that was wrong. <laughs> and then he, when the, the, the woman he, he picked to be his wife was Gobulu uh, uh, Wanrong. So one wrong was actually one right. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I quit. <laughs> uh, no, she was goodbye. called one. Okay, so the, he married one wrong and uh, Wang Su became his concubine. Okay. <clears throat> but that was the only had, they could only live in the forbidden. City for two years, and then in 1925, they had they were basically thrown out by a warlord who was like, This is such a, a symbol of oppression to the Chinese people, just throw him out. Uh huh. Okay, so he uh, knew a guy who knew a guy, sort of, and uh, they left for the Japanese concession of Tianjin which is in China, but it was ruled by the Japanese people. Uh -huh. Yeah. All, all the countries had concessions, like England had Hong Kong and Port Portugal yeah. had Macau. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All these foreign powers. So they had their Small little pieces. cities, of, like, yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. What did Sweden have? Nothing. Yeah. <laughs> we had a tiny, tiny little island 
St. Bartholomeus in the West Indies, but that was like in the 1700s. I think we just gave it away or something. I think we forgot about it. And then we had a little, little piece of, of Africa as well. But that's, that's all Why are have. you so proud of that? We've done that pod, this podcast for a long time. You know what it means that white people had a little piece of Africa. You should not be proud of that. I'm not proud of it. <laughs> no, but you said it with a smile. But it's so Swedish to want like a little piece and just like think that that's, I don't know. We just wanted to be like everybody else and we got a little piece and it's just, it's just Swedish. You you had the whole Baltic countries though, Finland. Oh yeah, we did. So yeah. it was. In you had Europe. Norway until yes. you were like, ah, they're rednecks, goodbye. And then they found oil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so he moved to uh, Tianjin uh, with his wife and concubines and uh, or one concubine that he had at this time. And then he had uh, a court of servants, of course. And a British journalist uh, called Henry Woodheed described the court court as a dog doggy paradise because they love dogs. And that's basically what they did now. They didn't have to do anything. So they just had a bunch of dogs. <laughs> what kind of dogs? I don't really know. Especially, what? I think, with chili and some noodle. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of no no, but I think they were <laughs> good. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that that could also be what happened. Uh, I mean, I'm guessing it's Pekingese dogs and... You know, I don't know. I should have. Lasa absolutely. I should have looked it up for you, but yes. I don't know. Like the most important part, like in all of these episodes, the first time dogs are mentioned, and you don't even tell me the breeds yeah. or the names or if they were cuddly. Yeah, or fluffy. Fluffy is terrible. Nothing. I'm so disappointed. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> his wife, one wrong, uh, she was very bored because they had nothing to do basically. So she started to smoke opium during this time. Nice. And Puji, he encouraged us okay. because she was more manageable, manageable <laughs> while she was high on opium. <laughs> more chill. Yeah, she was more mellow. <laughs> it's so much easier to deal with her. And they only met at meal times. Oh. I don't know if she got the munchies from the opium smoking. <laughs> They've met a lot, but I don't know. She was just more manageable because she thought it was extremely boring to be an empress with basically without a country. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, at this time, Puji's butler was a Japanese spy. Oh. Dun dun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He just reported things back to the Japanese about what was going on in the palace here. And uh, they were spending hours screaming at each other in the gardens. And one wrong called Puji a eunuch. Oh. Yeah. So that was uh, like a, an insult. And it's also th- something that follows him of his sexual, uh, I don't know. Inadequacy? Inadequacy. Well, I don't know. Like, it's, it's something about his sex life. Like, at one point, it seems like he had, because he, do, like, when he lived in the Forbidden City, it was like he just, like, took a maid or, like, just, uh-huh. he could do whatever he wanted. So he had... And then some people say that he got disgusted by sex, sort of, and uh-huh. like didn't want sex anymore. Uh-huh. Okay. And some say that he was just not interested in sex. So he was asexual? Yeah, because he had been brought up in a, in a weird 
uh, home. So but you're saying asexual people have been brought up in weird homes? <laughs> We're getting off track here. No, we are checking your words for a bullshit. <laughs> well, right. let's say he was uh, misunderstood asexual because um, sexuality had, had wasn't he, he so was, open by then. I think he was confused, and because he also. So you're saying asexuals are confused? No, I'm just saying <laughs> that he was confused when it comes to sexuality, or because he was very on and off, or. I should. We should. No. I mean, think about it. Who could have taught him about sex? They were all eunuchs, so he never <laughs> learned nothing. Exactly, know? and that because of that upbringing too, I think it's very easy to become a little confused about the whole situation of of like a, a sexual relationship. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, when he lived here. He, his cousin uh, visited a lot, and she is the Eastern Jewel. Ooh. And uh, she is also known under the name of Eastern Matahari. 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 So she was a Chinese person, but then worked for the Japanese as a spy. Mm -hmm. Which I just thought was cool. And But uh, after World War II, she was uh, uh, tried and executed as a traitor because what she had been spying for the Japanese. Uh -huh. Same as Matahari. Oh, yeah. In Europe, yeah. Oh, yeah. She was executed. Ex World War One, if I'm not wrong, she was a spy for the Germans or something. Mm, yeah. I don't know. So, he now lives in Tianjin, and uh, life got boring with concubines and dogs, you mm -hmm. would have figured. And uh, so... And Japan, Japan had a plan to to conquer conquer more of of China. Yeah. Japan had a plan, so they had a Japan. <laughs> uh, uh, no. What? That's your kind of humor. No, it doesn't work like oh, that. Sorry. Japan. They had a Japan. It was your plan. It would, what was their Japan? Okay, <clears throat> so they had a part called Manchuria. Yeah. And uh, they they used Fuji as the emperor, uh, not emperor, but as the leader of Manchuku. Exactly. They installed uh, him as the, the leader yeah. of Manchuku. It's a way to get le legitimacy to invade a place. You put a local guy. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. But he was just a puppet of Japan. That's yeah. what you mean. Yeah. Because yeah. they just had him there. Was he a the puppet? <laughs> 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 yeah. So he was the ruler of Manchuku, which was the ruled actually by the Japanese. He was just there as a puppet mm -hmm. from 1932 until uh, 1945 after World War II. Because mm. the Japanese had promised him that one day he will conquer China again, like his forefathers did in 1644. Mm -hmm. But they just had him there in, yeah. a, in a place called uh, the Salt Tax Palace because... During a, like a Soviet period, it had been a salt tax office, uh -huh. and that's where he had to stay. <laughs> and uh, so, when they had a celebration in 1932, when they had a brought in geishas for the celebration, but all Puji could think of is that no, none of the geishas knew who he was. Oh, he was like offended by nobody knows who I am, and I'm gonna be be the ruler of of this 
new state how can they not know who i am so it was very uh it was preoccupation of his to mm-hmm. like to have that role and mm-hmm. know me so what did he do well he didn't he well he tried to get people to 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 to, to be more recognized but it was not yeah it was hard for him because he spent all his days in the salt tax palace mm-hmm. which was heavily guarded by japanese troops and he could not leave without permission so he's basically a prisoner there yeah yeah basically so poochie again crying in his palace all day long what is he going to do he is just like he mood his mood became just like it was apparently swinging between like staring at the wall or flogging the people working for him <laughs> that was, that was what he did what about some opium no he i don't think he liked opium oh. and uh, he thought the people of uh, manchuku loved him but they actually hated him and the knowledge that he was an object of hatred uh drove him to the brink of madness mm-hmm. wrote this uh, this japanese uh, or this french uh journalist about this the uh-huh. henry guy yeah the henry woodweed woodhead whatever his name was <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. okay and uh, one wrong const- constantly high on opium detested her husband now she was just like fed up with him she was she started to become she was mocking him behind his back and in front of the servant she was put on dark glasses that Puji wore and like like make jerky moves to be like hey I'm Puji look at me I'm crying <laughs> in my corner I don't have a real I'm not a real emperor and high on opium probably that's how I see I her. like her I really like I see her like nowadays she would be like one of these like bored wives you know that is like uh, really high on oxycodone and white wine you know talking shit about the husband <laughs> yeah. we were talking about his sexuality before so but uh did they have any kids or no that was also a thing he he did not have any kids but okay as as a matter of fact we're getting into his sex life now mm-hmm. and he was wearing these uh, dark rimmed glasses and in tianjin at the time that was a way of signal uh, or signifying that you're a homosexual or bisexual oh. okay So uh, this the, the journalist again wrote that uh, Puji had an attraction towards very young girls that bordered on pedophilia and that he was bisexual and by his own admission something of a sadist in his uh, relationship with women. Mm. Yeah. He also had handsome teenage boys that served as page boys and his sister-in-law Hirosaga noted that he was very fond of sodomizing them. Oh. <laughs> my god. <laughs> and when one of the uh, page boys tried to f- uh, run away from the Saltex Palace, Puji ordered uh, the one that ran away to be flogged. Hmm. But I think this is his height, the height of his of his madness. Okay, so one wrong. Yeah. I like that bitch. Yeah, no, I think she's cool. Cuz if he's a he if he's a like w- w- uh, how big are her balls like cuz he if he's like the emperor like uh, quote unquote and he's a sadist and he has so much power and he's flogging people and she's like you know what don't give a shit i'm going to get high and impersonate <laughs> yeah, you like true. big balls to do that you know yeah. like maybe she must have had some kind of like protection from somewhere maybe her family or her power like maybe she She was from a like a, a fallen it was it's at a fallen uh, noble family in china uh-huh. cuz like how do you like you know like she's not a meek 
your obedient wife, you know, she's like, fuck you, I hate you. Yeah. What about his concubine, though? Was he, was she on opium too? Was no, I don't, th it, it, doesn't it doesn't specifically say that they yeah. did a lot of drugs. Uh -huh. And I think they were fairly, they were very young, all of them, like mm -hmm. 16, 17, when he was like 30, 35. So he was, it was, I don't think they got into drugs that early. Uh -huh, okay. Okay, and now we're at 1938, and the Japanese state decides we need a god, emperor god. So they named Puji to be god. What? Yeah. The Japanese? Could, yeah, the, the Japanese, uh, like, handlers that were controlling him uh -huh, okay. told him, like, we've made you, like, a god now, and they told uh, the countries that Japan had conquered... Uh, which was Korea and Taiwan. There's now uh, an emperor god in Manchukuo, and uh, the reason why they did this is because they thought people are more willing to sacrifice themselves in uh, a total war if you're doing it for an emperor god, sort of. Uh -huh. Okay. This is uh, we are already in the world war because different uh, in Europe starts on 39, but in Asia they consider from 37. Yeah. And that's the the Sino-Japanese War yeah. started so, in 1937 between Japan and China. So he's now with the Japanese telling the army of Manchukuo to do all these things, basically killing his own people, the Chinese people. The Japanese just hand him a lot of papers and he signs them without looking at them. And it's basically death sentences. In this, he just became sadder and sadder. He, by the end of the war, he was just like Mussolini died, Hitler died. You know, like bombs are falling. Mm. All the good ones go early, don't they? <laughs> uh, Hiroshima, and Nagasaki happened, and he was just like, "What I, happened?" Oh, you know, the the bomb <laughs> fell. <laughs> Big boy. No, what was it called? Big boy. Fat boy. Fat, Fat boy. boy. Yeah. And the other one, slim something. Yeah. No, wait. Tall boy. I, I, I don't no. know the name of the other. Fat boy. What was the name of the plane? Enola Gay. Enola Gay. I like that name. That's yeah. such a good name. That was the mother of the of the pilot, I think. Okay. I like that name. But uh, other than that, Puji's war effort was to pray to Buddha while the bombs fell around the Saltax Palace. Mm -hmm. And after the war, he was captured by the Soviets mm -hmm. and brought back to the Soviet Union. He must have been so happy, like, yeah, like I'm moving around in the sides, you know, like some action is happening. I mean, if you have like a, such a boring life, someone kidnaps you, you'd be like, you know what? Fuck it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Let's do this. Yeah. No, yeah. I feel like I would be happy. I'd be like, yeah. Oh, look, there's yeah, an outside. No <laughs> yeah. Maybe he was happy because he wrote to Stalin at the time asking if he could get an asylum. Uh, and get like an old Tsarist palace to live in. Of course. <laughs> he chose the worst place. <laughs> just like, can I get asylum? And a palace. <laughs> <laughs> he, he was just a god before, and now he was going to communism. I mean, it's the opposite. <laughs> yes. Every people better than others. What did Stalin say? He said no. Oh, he, what? Yeah, no. It, it took a while. <laughs> Basically, that he was captured by the Soviet probably saved his life. Because the Kuomintang government, which was led by um, Chiang Kai-shek, mm. probably would have killed him uh -huh. uh, when Mao Zedong is taking, like, is the leader of China. Uh, they extradite him back to China. Okay. And by this time, 
which is now 1950. Puji mm-hmm. is then loaded onto a train and he, he's going to be taken back to China and he's just like, sure, they're going to kill me. I'm going to be shot when I get back. They're just going to kill me. But he's not. Uh-huh. Instead, he is put in a communist training camp. <laughs> wow. So from Emperor God, just like a couple of years before that, to a communist training camp with the other cellmates. For, uh, to do forced labor or something. Forced labor <coughs> and also to be, to learning, to, to learn uh, about Marx- Russia? Marxism, no, in China now, oh, yeah. and to learn about socialism and Marxism. And being indoctrinated exactly and he had never done anything by himself so the other prisoners would laugh at him when he was trying to brush his teeth or tie his shoelaces <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly because he couldn't do anything so it's just like I, I don't know I think uh, I would feel bad but I don't <laughs> you know uh, what kind of job he could get in communist China maybe he could be a torturer because he had so much experience and <laughs> suffering right yeah on doing his eunuchs yeah he can put on his CV <laughs> <laughs> flogging people <laughs> years of experience since I was two years old shooting people with air guns yeah. <laughs> sodomizing young kids <laughs> flogging floggers <laughs> And make the my wife high on opium. Yeah, <laughs> she's more manageable. Maybe he could like be like a natural remedies Op- doctor, you know? Yeah, opium is opium for my wife. <laughs> okay. uh, he was put in this camp to to train him to be a, a a communist. And for Mao, this would be the ultimate truth that communist communism had won. In a sense, because he was he was the symbol of all the evil that mm-hmm. came before that. Mm-hmm. So for them, it was a major victory mm-hmm. after 10 years when they let him out. And he was then a normal citizen. Okay, back to Pooji. He's been... Uh, Pooji. I think everyone understood that it's Pooji. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. That was good, actually. I think that's actually how you say it. So he was in this uh, communist training camp. Uh, and where he was in some plays. And since he was one of the only actors who knew English, he would ad-lib things uh, in the mid- middle of things. He was like, no, no, it won't go. Get out of there. Leave that house. And playing, like, acting on... This was in, uh, about the Suez Canal. Uh-huh. And then in another uh, uh, play uh, about his life uh, in, in Manchuko, He was playing a Manchuku functionary and Puji kowtowed, which is the bowing, to a por- portrait of himself uh-huh. in the play. Uh-huh. And he's like that. Like, he had like the of... biggest boner ever. <laughs> <laughs> What? You bow to yourself. And uh, one of the last things that I found out was I was, uh, this morning I was listening to interviews uh, with uh, Puji's brother. And Puji's brother said since he had such a weird upbringing of just being surrounded by people who said yes to him, nobody said no to him. Everybody was like, yes, at your service, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. No he, limits, right? No, no, no restrictions. No limits whatsoever. He became extremely gullible. Oh. Like you could fool him 
like you can tell him anything because he didn't know what lying was basically yeah. uh-huh. it, like it, people would just say things and he was just like okay <laughs> so he believed all the communist shit and propaganda yeah he, he just believed everything and I think this is something that through his life he just believed other people uh-huh. that's how the Japanese got him that's how from the beginning because like, he wouldn't yeah he wouldn't think like someone would lie to him because he's the emperor exactly such a weird concept for have for someone's like growing up to not know what lying is mm-hmm. yeah. yeah it might be especially difficult for you to comprehend that <laughs> what <laughs> calling me a liar now yes <laughs> what is this what is this look I'm just I don't know I'm feisty today yeah I can tell I can tell and one of the first thing that he did when he returned to Beijing and to visit the Forbidden City as a tourist he pointed out to other tourists that I used to play with that or that's where I slept or that's where I did that that's where I had my meal oh, how cool adorable. is that yeah right he is adorable and I think that's I think that's his true nature he was just like roped in by people to do all these things uh-huh. you know and nobody put like any limits on mm-hmm. you know sadistic behavior when he was a kid so mm-hmm. that just continued and mm-hmm. so it, it feels to me that he became a childish adult a little yeah you know yeah I it's like that. he relived his childhood maybe But what happened to him like what how did he end up like what uh, after he he was released from prison he was working as a gardener and he said in his memoirs or interviews that the degree of happiness that he felt doing gardening he never knew as an emperor Though wow. he was notably very clumsy, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> and he married Li Xuanxian, which was a hospital nurse in 1962. And uh, oh, well, he, after that, he, after a gardener, he worked as an editor for the literary department of the Chinese People's Political Consultative Conference uh, until his death in 1964. Mm-hmm. So that was the life of Pu the last emperor of China. So from all the way at the top to a simple editor. I don't, I don't like, I mean, I see the megalomania, but I don't think like, it's not that crazy, this guy. Yeah. yeah it's more of a, like a, a crazy weird, story. Like, yeah. Like, yeah. But he feels very malleable. Like you're a god now. Cool. Yeah. You're a prisoner now. Yeah. All right. You're a gardener. Awesome. Yeah. You're an editor. Okay. And I'm pretty sure that Lee Shuang Sun is the one who asked to marry him and not the other way around. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ask me to marry you. Get on your knee. Ask me to marry you. That's how it's going to go, my proposal. Like, if anyone ever proposes to me, it's going to be like, get on your fucking knees now. Now. Propose to me. What's that ring? Terrible. Yeah, go buy another one. <laughs> now. This is what you call a proposal. Yeah. And the guy will be like, who are you? <laughs> Why are you screaming at me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a random person when you completely lost it. Yeah. <laughs> You're walking around in a pink robe yeah. somewhere now in Brunsparken. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> feeding the pigeons. Screaming at people. Yeah. With your hair start, on fire. Yeah. Smoking opium. Yeah. Trying to Being. start my own cult. <laughs> All right. Felipe is joining. Are you joining my cult, Felipe? Yeah, that depends. <laughs> I'll make you emperor god. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> so, Felipe, uh, what did you think? Did you enjoy your experience here? Yeah, of course I did. And his story is 
very interesting because it changes so much from being a god to a gardener in communist China. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely a good story. Thank okay. you, guys. Thank you so much for coming. And uh, so this is us for today. Um, we have an email account. Uh, it's megaloandmaniac at gmail.com. And you, if you have any suggestions of uh, a next uh, megalomaniac that we could talk about, feel free to contact us. You can also just tell write us Write to stuff. us on Facebook or Instagram as well. Yeah, just write to us and tell us. Give us some feedback. Give us whatever you want. Uh, send us money. I don't know. Like, <laughs> you know, make us emperors of your <laughs> country. <laughs> whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah, and we are in all the podcast apps and uh, services in general so find us also if you have an I iphone uh, rate and review in itunes that would be very nice mm -hmm. and uh, thank you so much for listening and stay tuned for the next program yeah bye 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 guys